Good morning. We'd like to welcome you here as we gather together as God's children. Please stand and join us as we sing to him our songs of praises.
Oh. 
Father, we are amazed by your love. We look at the cross and we see the depth of your love for us. And that's why we've come to worship today. To thank you, to proclaim that you are God and to to ask for more of your spirit in our lives individually and corporately. We pray you'd pour out your spirit on our worship today. Let us experience you, each one of us, in a powerful way today. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. It's so great to see all of you as we gather for worship this morning. I want to invite you to take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship. Just a couple of things to highlight uh, in the bulletin. In a few weeks, we will be into Holy Week. And uh, in that time, we have some, uh, some uh, extra activities going on. We'll have a Monday-Thursday service on Thursday night. That week, it will be the 17th of April. And on the 18th, the Good Fr- on Good Friday, we have a Journey to the Cross, which is always a powerful prayer event, and we'll get more information about that. And on Easter Sunday, April 20th, we will be baptizing those who would like to be. We have a few already lined up. If you're interested in being baptized on Easter morning, let me know in the next week or so. We are organizing a class to prepare everyone for that. Also, um, the children of Wesleyan Kids for Missions are joining with the youth group uh, as they will be participating in the 40-hour famine. The youth group will be, but the children want to support them in that as well. So they have put a, a big jar in the back of the foyer there, and over the next few weeks, if you are walking by it, you have some change or some bills in your pocket, and you want to throw those in to help with that, that would be awesome, and it'll just uh, the money will go to World Relief and their ministry around the world to help people in need. So uh, please take note of that, and uh, thanks for your gifts. Good morning. My name is Doug Maley. I'm a member of the Board of Elders of uh, the church. You'll notice in your bulletin this morning that there's an announcement regarding a pastoral call vote, which will take place in two weeks on April 6th. Every four years, the congregation is asked to extend its call to our senior pastor, Wes Oden, and that time has come again. Um, This is our opportunity to affirm Pastor Wes's ministry here among us. But this vote is as much about us as it is about him, because it's a commitment on our part to be an integral part of that ministry and to participate in the work of this church that God has called us to do. So it is in that spirit that the elders wholeheartedly, and I repeat, wholeheartedly, recommend to you that Pastor Wes's call be extended for another four years. The vote will take place on April 6th. Uh, it will be by ballot uh, around, the morning, uh, around the morning services. It's open to community and covenant members. There is also uh, an opportunity for you to vote by absentee ballot if you think you're not going to be here on April 6th. And the details of that are in the bulletin. So the elders ask you to be in prayer and to, if at all possible, participate in this vote. Thank you. At this time, we have the opportunity to give back but a portion of all that God has blessed us with. And I'd like to invite the ushers forward to assist us in the giving of our morning tithes and offerings. for our transgressions he was crushed for our sins the punishment that brought us peace was upon him by his wounds by his wounds 
transgressions, he was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, by his wounds we are healed. for our transgressions he was crushed for our sins the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds by his wounds we are healed Father, we thank you for the cross. For the gift of your son that sets us free. It is uh, an amazing thing to think about being healed by you being punished being set free by you going to death. We thank you. Father, we pray today for your mercy upon us, that the cross would would just envelop our lives even more as we surrender ourselves to you. We pray that in the power of Christ you will heal our diseases, and be present in our grief. We pray for people who feel an overwhelming sense of loss, perhaps live with a a sense of dread, feel overwhelmed by life, see no way out of it. Fill each one with a clear awareness of your spirit with them every moment. We pray for people who are dealing with injury, disease, surgery, treatments, all the other kinds of difficulties that come to these fragile bodies in which we live. Pour out your healing grace upon 
Bruce and Jeannie upon Donna, Bev, Edna, Linda, Micah, upon Bob, Bill, Crystal, Emily, and others who are on our hearts and minds today. Father, sometimes we are overwhelmed by worry, fear, doubt. Reveal your goodness to us, particularly in those moments when it's hard to see. And in our struggles with each other, fill us with the grace of forgiveness, patience, mercy, truth, and hope. We continue to pray for the burdens of our world. For people who live with no idea of where their next meal is going to come from or where they will find clean drinking water. People who are displaced from their homes live in grave danger. People who live in fear and uncertainty because of violence and war. For people, our brothers and sisters, who live with constant oppression and the threat of persecution. And we ask for your mercy, for your healing, for your grace. Father, we pray that you will turn us from self-centered living to Christ-centered living. Give us eyes to see what you're doing in the world, to be your servants in the world. Use us to touch the lives of one another. Let the Spirit of Christ be upon us in grace and mercy. Make us servants who love you and love others through the grace of Christ who died for us and whose name we offer our prayers. Amen. This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20, verse 45, through chapter 21, verse 4. Following the tradition of the church, I invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel and remain standing then for the song that follows. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Savior, I come, quiet my soul, remember, redemption still, your blood was spilled for my ransom, everything I once held
Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Most people don't um, like it when we talk about money in church. The church has, for better or worse, a reputation uh, in some people's minds about all we think about is money. You know, we, we want, the church just wants money, the church just wants to take from us. And of course, there are reasons people think that way about the church. There are some examples of where that's true. You know, 60 Minutes does a story on a some televangelist ministry that promises people if they send money, they'll pray for them, and they hidden cameras, show them opening envelopes, taking out the checks and throwing away everything else. And you know, and then there are always shysters in the everywhere, everywhere you go, and sometimes even in the church. And so it's made us a little bit paranoid to talk about money. And, and so we, we come to the place where we say we're going to be really careful and we don't want to do this too much. So we don't talk a lot about money, but what's fascinating is that when we read the scriptures, it talks a lot about money. You'd think of it just taking a little little survey, the words rich, poor, gifts, giving, money, comes up over 700 times in the scriptures. Many of the parables of Jesus are connected to money. Over and over again, the scripture is telling us money is significant. It's important. What we do with it is important. Because somewhere in this realm of money and material possessions rests our spirituality and our relationship with God. And one of the places we see the we, we hear Jesus talking about money is this passage we just read this morning. As I understand it, in the, in the ancient temple, there were, in the court of women, there were 13 receptacles that you could put money in. And they, looked, they were called trumpets because they looked a little bit like a trumpet standing with a, a bell top. And people threw their money into these metal containers. And of course, in those days, uh, they didn't use bills like we do. In those days, the more valuable the coin, the heavier it would be. So if you threw in a a coin that was worth a lot, it made a loud noise. And if you threw in a coin that was worth very little, it didn't make much noise at all. So a lot of people would go to the trump, one of these trumpets, and they would try to clang that thing against them as much as they could, you know, kind of bang it against the sides as it went down maybe. And if you didn't have much to give, you didn't want people to even hear your little tink, tink noise when it went in. It was embarrassing. And people used this as a means of pride and of look at me and look at how wealthy I am and look at how much I give. And this one day, Jesus is sitting there in the temple, and he sees this woman come along and put in 
Not much of anything. Two little coins. In fact, the word that's translated to describe those coins means thin ones. They, the two of the coins together aren't worth half a penny. They are virtually insignificant. And Jesus says, she's put in more than all the rich people put in before her. Now, I, you know, I'm, I'm not great on economics, but that doesn't make sense to me. Somehow, something of what she's doing is more valuable than what all the others have put in. Something significant. You think about history and how we, how we create economy and how we describe economy and how we keep economy going. It's always the rich who, upon whom that's based. It's always the rich who make the decisions about the economy. You don't see anyone going to someone who is at poverty level saying, what do you think we ought to do economically here as a nation? We go to people who are wealthy. And I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong because they have expertise and things, but we just don't think about the poor having anything to do with the economy. And quite frankly, because the rich tend to create and decide, make decisions about the economy, generally speaking, the economy benefits the rich more than the poor. And Jesus has come along and turned that on its head. And he says, in my kingdom, we don't view things quite that same way. It's sort of like when Jesus says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. If you want to be a leader in my kingdom, you serve. If you want to enter my kingdom, you become like a little child. You do the opposite of what everybody else says is the right way to get ahead in the world. And it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus uses an unexpected person to to point out this lesson. Because he's done it over and over again. A tax collector, a Roman centurion, a boy with a little lunch and a few fish and bread. A woman and now a widow. People on the outskirts of society. People who no one would say... Oh, let's, let's, let's see what they have to think about this. And Jesus keeps bringing us back to these people. And it really shouldn't surprise us that here, this poor widow is the person from whom we learn a lesson about the economy of Jesus. Now, Jesus isn't saying that, he, that he, he's not applauding her poverty. He's applauding her generosity. Jesus is not saying that there's something bad about being rich and there's something good about being poor. He's not condemning the gifts of the rich. He doesn't say, I wish those rich people would stop bringing their gifts because quite frankly, the temple couldn't operate without the gifts of the rich. Nothing is going to get done in the temple with these two little worthless coins that the woman puts in the trumpet. Nothing, nothing of significance is going to be bought with that. They need the gifts of the rich. Jesus is not condemning the gifts of the rich. He's simply saying they are giving what looks like great gifts, but what they're not giving is huge. And this woman is giving what looks like virtually nothing, but what she's not giving is virtually nothing. She's giving everything she has. They're giving just a little percentage of the great wealth that they have. And the kingdom is about this heart attitude, this this perspective of wanting to be generous with God and the kingdom of God. And that's how the economics of Christ's kingdom works. Now, Having said that, the scriptures do tell us that the more we have, the more money can get control of us. The more we gain, the more we tend to spend on ourselves. Most of us don't tend to get more and more and just keep giving more and more away. We tend to hold on to it. You think back, I mean, you know, when when we're... When we're young and 
we don't have much. There's something kind of easy about giving. But as we get older and we have more, it gets more difficult. I read about a guy who, I don't know if this is true or not, but he went to his pastor and said, I'm really having trouble tithing right now. And the pastor said, well, what's the problem? He said, well, when I made $250 a week and I gave a $25 tithe, that was great. And then when I made $500 a week and I gave a $50 tithe, that was okay. But now that I make $5,000 a week and the tithe is $500, it's killing me. It's hard. He said, would you pray for me, pastor? And he said, sure, I'll pray for you. And he said, Lord, please reduce Joe's income back to $500 a week so that he will feel better about tithing to you. There, there is something in that. But we can be just as enamored with money when we have a lot or we have a little. Money can get a hold of us. Possessions can get a hold of us no matter how much or how little we have. There is nothing spiritual about being poor. There is nothing spiritual about being rich. Jesus is simply saying the economics of my kingdom are rooted in a spirit of sacrificial generosity. That's what I'm looking for. It's a heart attitude. It's not some formula. It's what's in our hearts. One of the ways we can measure how we handle money is is what we... uh, what we do with money in relation to other people. Do we use money to help people in need or do we use people to help us get more money? It intrigues me that, you know, the great financial crimes of the centuries, particularly this last century I'm thinking about, though I think this is probably true throughout history, are done not by people who have nothing, but by people, by and large, who have more than they know what to do with. I mean, Bernie Madoff was not in in an unemployment line. He was not, you know, getting government assistance because he couldn't manage day-to-day life. He had more money than he knew what to do with. He just wanted more. And And it began to, and it controlled him. And Ken Lay and the people at Enron... They weren't in poverty. They had tons of money. They just wanted more. And money got a hold of them and it grabbed them and it controlled them. And we may not be in their position, but it controls us too. And there are subtle ways in which we use people to gain more instead of using what we have to help people who are in need. And when we see people in need, is our first response, how can I be generous with them? Or when we see people in need, is our first response, how can I keep them from taking anything from me? And quite frankly, I can tell you that far too often, my response is the latter instead of the former. I wrestle with that. And you know, we have to be wise about what we do with our money But when push comes to shove, the default of the kingdom is generosity, sacrifice. God's God's design and God's desire when we talk about money and when he talks about money is really rooted in our hearts. He wants our hearts. God doesn't need our money, but we do need to give. And I'm convinced that that what we do with money is one of the most profound spiritual thermometers of our hearts. It's not the only one, but it is a profound thermometer of our spiritual condition. Because to be like Christ is to be generous, to be sacrificial. I mean, that's what the cross keeps shouting at us, the sacrifice of Christ. And to be like Christ is to have that spirit of generosity, the spirit of sacrifice for God and for other people. And we keep giving. And we're asking ourselves, how can I give rather than how can I get? It's a vision of of getting 
of, of continually praying to God, Lord, how can, show me people who have needs so that I can give away the things you've blessed me with. It really comes down to a matter of gratitude and trust. People who are generous are people who recognize that everything we have is from God. And if it's from God to begin with, then it's not really ours. And so we can give it away because we also trust that the God who gave it to us in the first place is going to supply our needs as they come along. And we have such a heart of gratitude to God for what he's given us. We want to express that gratitude and generosity. And we can be free to be generous because God is good and loving and gracious and generous with us. And he has promised to supply our needs and to bless us. And what we have to be careful about is that sometimes people want to take that as a formula. They want to say, if I give to God a dollar, then he'll give me back ten. And quite frankly, unfortunately, I hear sometimes people, television people, saying those kinds of things. And that's not really what God is talking about. The blessing, the most profound blessing God gives us is to set us free. To set us free from from the grip of materialism and money. Because it it is a vicious God that holds on to us. And it can destroy us. And the the people who are generous are people whom God has set free from that idol. Set free from the bondage of the fear and the stress and the pressure of having to always have more. Of having to protect whatever we have. And to fight for it and to worry about it and to fret about it. And all the while God is saying just... You know, you can have a whole different kind of life. You don't have to be fearful and worried about what you have. Live in freedom about what you have and trust me. And I'll give you what you need. Trust me. And the most generous people I know, and and quite frankly, the people that I respect the most are people who are set, who've been set free. You can see it in them. And it's not just even about money. They're set free about life. Because people who are generous with money are people who are generous with everything about their lives. Their time, their gifts, their their abilities, whatever they're doing, they've been set free. And you can see it because we, we can't compartmentalize our lives. Either you're generous or you're not generous. And if you're generous with money, you're going to be generous with all of life. And if you're not generous with money, we're not generous with all of life. And we're held in bondage. In Malachi, he's, Malachi, the prophet Malachi, speaking for God, says to the people, you're robbing me. And that's why you're, that's why you're going into exile. That's why you're, you're, you're facing my wrath, because you're robbing me. You're hoarding your resources instead of being generous with them. And it it connects it directly with their spiritual life. And again, it doesn't matter if we have a lot or a little. A number of your college students, you have very little. But actually, it's when you have little that you learn how to give. That's the time to start learning to be generous. Because once you get a lot, it's a hard place to start. And God says through Malachi that they're robbing him of tithes and offerings. Of their gifts to the temple. And when I read the story of Jesus watching this woman put her money into these little coins into the the receptacle. Jesus knows, and I think a lot of the people around him know... In, the, in that culture, know that the temple structure is basically corrupt. I mean, you have people running the temple who are greedy, who could care less about God. I mean, they're the very ones who put Jesus on the cross. The whole temple system is corrupt. 
And you would think in light of that that Jesus would say to this woman, hey, don't waste your money on the temple. Don't put your money in there. Don't, don't, don't give that to them. They've rejected my father. They're going to reject me. They're going to put me on a cross. Don't do that. Don't, don't give to that organization. But he doesn't. And in fact, he uses her gift to the temple as the whole point of his statement about economics and the kingdom. And, and as I ponder that, if, if Jesus encourages these sacrificial gifts to the temple that is corrupt, then doesn't it make sense that we ought to keep giving our gifts to hopefully a church that's not corrupt? You know, church isn't perfect. No one is. No organization is, but trying to do the right things for God and the kingdom. And I know this this is a little bit of a touchy subject for people, and I know that not everyone agrees with me, but I'm convinced that, that Christians give tithes to the church. Because it's how we continue to be the church. The church is, is essential for our journey with Christ and growing with Christ and becoming disciples of Christ. The scriptures make that so clear that the church is at the center of, what we, of our nurturing and what, how we become followers of Jesus. But the only way the church can be that is if we are helping the church to exist. And so we give to the church. And because we give to the church, we're able to hire pastors who nourish our faith, who are with us in times of crisis and pain, who counsel us, who who lead us. It's because we give to the church that we can operate ministries like Sunday school and children's church and junior church and youth group and prayer breakfasts and Bible study groups and the Wednesday night children's programs and worship services. Even mundane things like paying electric bills so we have lights and we have heat in the winter. All of that happens because we give to the church. And when we give to the church, we allow the church to then give over $100,000 to others who are doing ministry right around us and around the world because we give to the church. And I think that as we give our tithes to the church, maybe God is calling us to also give offerings to other organizations outside the church. That he's calling us, to, he's stretching us, he's, he's pushing us to be generous, not just within the walls of the church, but also outside the walls of the church with others who are sharing the gospel in other places and in other ways that the church can't. And maybe God is calling us to do both. Nudging us, urging us. And again, it's not because God needs our money. It's because we need to give. We need to give. We need to learn generosity because it opens up our hearts to God. There's a direct correlation between a heart that is sensitive to God and being people who are generous with God and the kingdom and with people. Robert Morris has written a book called The Blessed Life, and it's a fascinating book. And he talks in there about the ladder of giving. And he says that, in his opinion, there are three rungs to the ladder of giving. There's tithes, there's offerings, and there's extravagant offerings. And maybe, and I think, we we have to start where we are. You know, he tells stories in the book. I mean, he has a gift of extravagant giving, to be quite frank with you. He's at the top of the ladder. And he tells stories about how they, God has prompted them to give away a house. Or they, they give away, given away probably more than a dozen cars. And many of those cars were given to them as well. As God sort of supplied and exchanged. And, but they, they have this sensitivity about extravagant giving. Tells one story about uh, how God prompted them one time to to give away their van 
only he wanted them to sell their van. And he argued with God because he said, we've never sold any of this stuff before. We've always given it away. It's an act of faith, believing that as we give it away, you'll somehow supply it for us. But he said that he and his wife both were so clear that God was saying, I want you to sell it. I want you to sell it for $12,000. And it took them quite a number of weeks to come to grips with that. But they finally did and said, all right, Lord, do you want us to sell it? We'll sell it. And the next day they were at church and a guy stopped him and said, hey, Robert, you think you'd ever be interested in selling that van? So I'll give you $12,000 for it. He said, Okay. So they sold the van, they took the $12,000, put it in the bank, didn't know what to do with it. That in a sense, it wasn't their money, so they just put it in the bank and went to Costa Rica a few weeks later. They were driving around with a missionary in a van that was so broken down, so run down, you know, it, it was just the rust connected to rust. And he said, you know, they were sure at any moment the tires were just going to fall off and the thing was just going to plop to the ground and just disintegrate. I said, why are you driving around in this rattletrap van? He said, well, it's all we've got. I said, why don't you buy a new one? I don't have any money to buy a new one. I said, well, you know, do you have any ideas about it? He goes, yeah, I've scouted out and I've found the perfect van for us. I said, how much is it? $12,000. Guy got a new van. That's extravagant giving. Most of us are not at that place. And I think it's important for us not to try to jump too high on the ladder. I mean, we want to be generous, but God is patient with us, and it's a process. And so maybe our first step is to just move toward the tithing rung, giving 10%. Maybe if you don't give it all, maybe you need to start at 5% or something less, but just some step forward, some act of generosity. And if, if tithing's already a part of your life, maybe the next rung is offerings. Maybe there are other gifts that you can give to support other ministries or something more you want to give to the church or to another organization that's sharing the gospel. But it's one more step. Maybe God's just prompting you to give a little bit more. So we talked about with the faith promise giving where it's above and beyond what we normally give, but it's somehow saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you that somehow you're going to bring in this money that I don't have or have no idea where I'm going to get it. And for some people, it is the extravagant offerings that we move to. We just start where we are, some kind of step. Because it's the, it's the process, it's the willingness that God is looking for. He's not, I don't think God is asking any of us to give away everything we have. If he is, then be obedient. But most of the time, God is saying to us, are you willing to be generous? Are you willing to sacrifice just a little bit more? Because when we sacrifice, we experience blessing, freedom, joy, We're set free from the bondage of money and materialism that can eat away at our souls. And ultimately, it comes back to the cross. That we see that Christ on the cross paid the ultimate price for us, sacrificed his very life for us. And in a sense, all we're really doing is saying, this is an expression of gratitude. This is an expression of of recognition of of the fact that we owe everything we are and everything we have to you, Father. In every way we can give it back, we want to, because we want to be set free to be people like Christ. John Ortberg says that when he talks about money with people, he often tells them to get out their wallet and to take a look at it, you know, it's, it's just a little piece of leather. I don't know what's in your wallet. You look at it. Someone asked me after first service, they were waiting for the Capital One commercial to ask, what's in your wallet? You know, I don't, I don't know what's in there, if you have money, credit cards, whatever it may be. But in one way or another, for most of us, this little piece of leather represents so much more than just 
a little bit of leather. It represents for so many people security, value. I I knew a guy once who grew up in poverty. And as he got older, he became a little more successful. And he carried around a $100 bill in his pocket continually because he wanted people to see that he was successful. And for him, that $100 meant I've made it. I'm valuable. And for a lot of us, it might not be that. It might be, you know, 50 cents stuck in there somewhere. But some way or another, even if it's not at the moment, we think someday I'm going to have money. Some point I'm going to have something and I'll be something. But it's a false God. Because all it does is create an atmosphere and a spirit of stress and pressure that we have to keep making more and we have to keep protecting what we have. And our whole life is spent trying to gain and protect and and the stress and the pressure of that can kill us. Or we can let God have this wallet. We can give it to him and live in the freedom of his blessing, his life, his joy, generosity. So as you think about your little piece of leather, does it reflect the economy of our culture that leads to stress and pressure and fear? Or does it reflect the economy of the kingdom of Christ that leads to freedom and joy and blessing and life? Is there one place, one way which God may be saying to you, this is something I want you to do to be generous, to be thankful for what I've done for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we all wrestle with being sacrificially generous. Give us courage to take one step. One step of generosity today. Lay that on our hearts. Put it into our minds. And give us courage to do it. And may we know the joy and the freedom of being generous. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together. Take all my cravings 
the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.